Well, as we come to God's Word this evening, please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And as you're turning there, let me just say again, it's a blessing to be with you. I'm thankful to have this opportunity to worship together with you. It's something of a home away from home. I was trying to remember when I first came here, but it was late 80s, early 90s, so it's been quite some time that I've been looking at many of your faces, and it's a blessing to see you still pressing on. Well, that's uh, one verse I'd like to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make every grace abound to you, so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Let's once again seek the face of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word again, and it is a great blessing and a great privilege for us to be able to read it and to be able to consider it. Even more so, it's even greater to know that the promises written in it are absolutely certain for us. One of those promises was that you would give your spirit to those who ask. And so we come to you, O Heavenly Father, in the name of your beloved Son, and plead with you that you would grant us your spirit, that we would understand your word, and it would transform us, that we would be able, by the coming to this table, to be strengthened in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 uh, is a chapter in which Paul, of course, is addressing the church in Corinth about uh, giving a gift to the Jewish people in Jerusalem who were suffering. The Corinthians had made a promise, and he was concerned that they fulfill their promise. It was going to be a costly promise, a costly promise to keep, and so he wanted to ensure that they followed through. And so he begins in chapter 8, if you look back with me at, verse, at the beginning of the chapter, he, he begins by introducing the subject by talking about the Macedonians. And he talks about these Macedonians who had given uh, abundantly. He says, now brothers, we make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, in that, that in a great testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their generosity. And so they gave out of their affliction, they gave out of their poverty, and they beg Paul to be able to give. One might think that Paul is trying to shame them into, uh, you know, hey, the Macedonians who have far less than you gave follow through, but that's really not so much what he's doing. It's not so much a shaming of them, but he's giving them an example right up front of what grace can do. For notice he says that we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And in verse 6 he says about the way that they gave, we urged Titus that he had previously made a beginning so that he would also complete in you the gracious work as well. So this work was a gracious work, a work of grace in their lives, and he wants the Corinthians to also follow through. 
So in essence, he's saying, see what grace can do. And if grace can do this for the Macedonians, then grace can help you to fulfill your promise. Now, I'm not here to ask for money for the church. If you're visiting here tonight, that's not my, my purpose is not to say give, right? Uh, my purpose is to focus on this thing called grace. And the verse that I read at the outset in chapter 9 and verse 8 is really the verse I want us to consider. It's a very general verse which can be used, uh, it's a promise which can be used in, in any circumstance. It goes far beyond uh, just this giving of money, though its primary focus for the Corinthians was on them fulfilling their promise to give. It's a, it's a verse which can go on giving, if you will. And so it has a promise that can be applied. So let's look again at the promise. I'm reading from a, a newer version of the New American Standard translation, and it translates the verse this way, as I read a little bit ago. And God is able to make every grace abound to you so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance for every good work. I'd like for us to consider these verses together as we come this evening uh, to the Word of God. Note with me, first of all, what we all need. What we all need. According to this verse, what we all need is grace. Grace. That unmerited, unearned, undeserved goodness or kindness shown to a person. So it's the Philly police officer uh, finding you parked near Independence Hall in a parking space that is only reserved for uh, buses or only reserved for special uh, downtown people. And you're parked there, and he says, here, and he hands you, instead of a ticket, money to buy a parking space in the parking garage next door. That's grace, if you will. It's a very small kind of grace, but it's grace. Grace is also not only this unmerited, unearned, undeserved goodness or kindness shown to somebody, it's also an undeserved, kind enablement to accomplish a particular task. Grace is coming in, as it were, and giving you what you need to fulfill what you're supposed to do. It's somebody coming inside and lifting up the weak hands and saying, no, we can keep doing this and, and helping you along. Grace, it's not deserved, it's not earned, it's somebody coming and doing this kindness and enabling you to accomplish what you're supposed to do. And frankly, when we stop to think about the Christian life and all the promises that we have made in our Christian life, isn't it obvious that we need grace? It becomes very quickly obvious that we need something outside of ourselves, a kind, undeserved action on the part of somebody else enabling me to do what I'm supposed to do. Well, according to our text then, where do we get it? Well, it's very obvious. It's from God. It is not purchased by us. It is not earned by us in any way. It cannot be attained, obtained from some guru who has posted his videos on X or Facebook, or YouTube. 
It cannot be purchased by uh, sending in money to a particular place. It's not found by digging deep down inside and some well within you, digging something up, and here's where grace comes from. Grace comes from God and God alone. That's what he said about the Macedonians, right? He said, We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Or as he wrote to the Corinthians in the first letter when he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. So it comes as a gift specifically from God. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul even says for himself as an apostle. How is he able to serve as an apostle? How was he able to go out and accomplish all that he was supposed to do in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? It says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with or in me. The text says it comes from God. Now it says that God is able to make all grace abound to you. He is able. Now that's, that, that kind of sounds a bit weak, doesn't it? I mean, you say, well, he's, he, he, can, he can do it, kind of. You know, he's got the, some, some general ability to do this. But the word is really far more powerful than that. It's the word dunamis. It's the word we get dynamite from. And so it's basically saying God has power to do this. God is not hindered in giving this. God has the omnipotence that created the world with but a thought and but with his word. God is, has power to, to divide the Red Sea. God has power to raise the dead. And it's that power that is able to make grace abound to you. He's not just kind of able. He is super abundantly, powerfully capable of giving you all that you need. So it's not surprising that Peter calls him, I love this title, it's one of my favorite titles for God, the God of all grace. All grace. So where do we get it? From God. It comes by various means. It may come through somebody else. It may come through our own spirit exercising a measure of determination But it's that grace which is the source, the power that makes it possible, that enables us to do what we're supposed to do. God does not lack any ability or resources or willingness to help in time of need. We get it from God. But how does God give it? How God gives it? Roman numeral three, we've seen what we all need. We all need grace. Where do we get it? We get it from God. And how do we get it? We get it. How does he give it? Well, this is obvious. Graciously. Couldn't think of a better word. My wife gets tired of me using that word, but it's a perfect word to talk about what God, how God gives. He gives graciously. Listen again to the words. And I like the, this, this version of the, of the verse in the translation I'm reading because it, it translates all of the uses of one particular Greek word the same way. And so you really get to hear it. Listen to what he says. God is able to make every grace abound to you so that in 
everything at every time, having every sufficiency, you may have an abundance, an abundance for every good deed. Now, Paul is known for piling on words, and it's one of those times he says, I'm going to grab this word, and I'm going to keep pounding this one word, every, 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 every. And I like the word every because it's all singular in the Greek. It's not, our translations say all because that's better, you know, the way we speak in English. All grace at all times, but it's, it's singular. So I like this every, it just really punches. And I, I like the way that it sounds. So let's look at this then, and we'll see, let's pull this apart just a little bit. It says, he gives every grace. Think about that. Every grace. Not just some graces. Not just a, sp- a special spiritual set of graces. Every grace. Whatever you need to enable you to accomplish all that he has called you to do. He says, I've got resources for everything. And that's what I give. Every grace. And when, he get, when does he give it? At every time. Not just Sundays or the Lord's days. Not just when you're super spiritually hyped up to a certain amp or amperage in your Christianity that now he'll give. No, every time. Not just in those times when it's just kind of obviously you need some help to get over the hump. Every time, at all times. Not occasionally. Not just sometimes, not in just some circumstances, every time, in every circumstance, in everything, he says. In everything. Now, the mind is, in, is incapable of grasping these things. I have a friend who's a philosopher, and he's also a math whiz, and so he tells me about things like infinite Right? And if there were an infinite number of red chairs and an infinite number of black chairs, and there was one chair, red, black, red, black, red, black, and you took all the black chairs away, there would still be as many chairs as there was before. And there'd be just as many legs as there were on those chairs before. And you go, wait a minute, my mind doesn't grasp this. There are more infinite, there's more infinite in real numbers than infinite in integers. The science teachers are going, yeah, I've, I've heard that somewhere. You know, it's, it's, you know it's, it's, it's just too big to grasp. And that's what he's trying to do here. Every grace, in every time, in everything. It's just too big to grasp. But he wants us to see it and, and to say, oh, what an amazing supply is available. And he's not done, for he, he also uses some other words, like make gra- grace abound, sufficiency, and an abundance. He says, so this is, we've seen what he gives, every grace, when he gives it, at every time, at all times, in every circumstance, and then how, it, how he gives abundantly for every sufficiency, having an abundance. So we have abound and we have abundance. Same word, basically, right? But the abundance. What is the abundance? What does it mean to abound? Uh, Well, the best example that I I remember in my mind is when the disciples were told to feed the crowds, and they broke the fish and broke the loaves, and they fed the crowds, and the abundance was the 12 baskets that they picked up afterwards. 
Everybody ate all they wanted, and yet there was still more. And this is the way God gives grace. Abundantly. He's making it abound to us so that we have an abundance in every circumstance. And then he says every sufficiency. And again, sufficiency. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the grade you got. Remember elementary school? S, satisfactory, sufficient. That means just made it over the bar. That's the way we kind of read it. But that's not what this word means. The word doesn't just mean just made it over the bar. The word means I am completely satiated. I am completely filled. So it's the 5,000 people who are sitting there on the grass going, whew. Man, that guy's got, whoa, that was a lot of food. It's the way um, I can remember feeling sitting next to a, a, a couple in our church. I was told, sit next to them, and they will invite you over for dinner. Italian dinner made by an Italian woman. I said, okay. So I sat down next to Rose. And I said, hi, Rose. This is my wife, Karen. Hi, why don't you come over for dinner? Oh, that's funny you should ask. And so we went over, and we sat down in their house, and they started feeding the food, and we ate, and that was the appetizers. We were full, and we said, oh, no. And then there was the pasta, and then there was the main entree, and then there were several different desserts. And, it was like, and she was upset we didn't eat it all. We couldn't have eaten it all. We were so satisfied. We were satiated. We were full. That's the point. He says to have an abundance in everything, every sufficiency, meeting everything that you need, everything, nothing left. It's not like he says, okay, you know, I can, give you, I can give you $10 worth of gas. I know that's not going to get you quite home, but I, I can get, that's what I've got. No, it's, I, I'm going I'm to put gas in your car for the next month, next year. Next, it's just going to be, it's everything we need. You see how he's building up abundantly in sufficiency. And he's not done yet. For not only does he tell us what he gives, every grace, when he gives it, every time, at, in everything, with an abundance in every sufficiency, he then adds why he gives it. Why does he give it? For every good deed. Well, what's a good deed? A good deed is anything God asks us to do, anything God requires us to do. It's anything we do in the name of Jesus Christ and in the name of God and for the glory of God. In this case, it's the giving of money to help the, the Jewish Christians who are suffering. And you're going to give? No problem. I'll fill up your bank. I got you, basically, is what he's saying. Every good deed, whatever he requires of us, when he gives grace, it's because he wants us to give to others. God invests, as one man put it, God invests where he gets the greatest returns. And you can never outgive God. You can't, you can't give so much, say, oh, I got, ha, I'll see you meet that one. Oh, no, I'm already in front of you. I've, done already, I've already met that, and I'm ready for the next one. God is never, as one other man said, any man's debtor. You cannot outgive God. He says he gives that grace, that you might do all that he has called you to do, which is what is good in his name. General term, every deed, every work. He just says, I just want to make this as general as I possibly can. Do you see the breadth of this particular verse? Now, I am blown away 
by the fact that I looked up this verse. I, wanted, I went to Spurgeon, and I went to my books that talk about the various indices for the, all the Puritan writers. Nobody had preached on this verse. Maybe it's just too obvious. Maybe that's why I'm so foolish to try to preach on it. It's just so obvious, isn't it? This abundant, amazing, outstanding, superabounding promise being made by God to his people to give them what they need, to give them all that they need to do what he's called them to do. So how does this apply to us tonight? How does this apply to us? Well, like the Corinthians, we've all made promises. Promises that we have to keep. Promises we're required to keep. Marriage vows. Have you ever stopped and thought about the marriage vows? Maybe you didn't do the traditional ones like we did. We're not creative. We just said go with the old ones. They were good. Right? But these promises, this is the vow that we made. I, Bart, take you, Karen, to be my wife, my husband, or the way around for her to me, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse. It's been pretty hard on her times for her. You know, it's a, it gets pretty bad sometimes. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. You mean when I'm feeling rotten, I've still got to be kind? Yes. In, to love and to cherish until parted by death. And others add, forsaking all others. I've got to do that every day for the rest of my life? as long as she's alive and I'm alive? I love doing that. It's not like this is a burden for me to stand up here and say, oh, I've got to do this for Karen. I mean, I make it hard for her, but for me, it's a piece of cake. But it's still not easy because sometimes I really do not want to do what I'm supposed to do, and I need grace. When I'm sick, I, I, I don't like loving her as Christ loves the church. I just want to love myself and go to bed and... Let her pamper me. But this is the promise that we made. When he makes a stupid, foolish decision to spend your money in a way that lowers your income and puts you all in a, in, a, in a little more challenging debt situation because he had to have that, and you still got to submit to him. You think you need grace for that? I think so. We make church membership commitments. Our Constitution, I think, is fairly similar to yours, and there are requirements for church membership, and we promise to fulfill those requirements. Promises that we've made. Commitments to be at the stated meetings, to gather together to prayer, to support the, the peace and unity of the church, to, to support the, the eldership and, and, and look up to them and, and, and listen to them. We, we've, we've made commitments. Literally, as Jesus said, every time we said yes, yes, or no, no, we made a commitment. And that's a promise that we need to keep. We must keep. And you know what? We need grace. Here's the problem. God's going to hold us accountable for all of those promises. God takes vows and promises very seriously. Even foolish vows made in the name of God, He takes Seriously. He is going to hold us and call us to account for our promises. 
and in our power and in our strength, we can't fulfill all those promises. Not just because we're sinful, but sometimes we're just because we're too weak to do what we said we were going to do. That's a problem. Do you know how many commands there are in the Scriptures that we have committed to do like the people in Exodus 19 when they stood at the base of the mountain and they said, whatever He says, we will do. Well, in following Christ, we've said, whatever He says, we will do. Let's just take one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can you do that every day? Just every service. Maybe for five minutes of the service? With all your heart? We need grace. We're supposed to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can you do that all the time? No, I need grace. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit working that grace within us. We need to have a love which is marked by patience, kindness, not jealousy, doesn't brag, isn't arrogant, doesn't act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, isn't easily provoked, doesn't take into account wrongs suffered, doesn't remember them, take record of them, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Just take those last four. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have for one another, because remember 1 Corinthians 13 is about church membership. We need grace. Lenski says, God's bestowal of every grace in abundance means our having or always having in everything, everything that we need. All these many good works we need in our hearts, faith, love, tenderness, pity, strength, courage, energy, zeal, enlightenment, wisdom, etc., etc. We need grace to live a holy life. We need grace in the face of temptation to persevere, to find that way of escape when the temptation comes which the faithful God has provided. We need grace when we're pursuing virtue We need Him to uphold us and strengthen us and guide us. We need grace to forgive us when we fall short of all that God has called us to do. We need the grace of forgiveness from God. We need the grace of God to help us to pursue that which is right. We need God's grace to act the way and this way of love toward one another in sickness and in health, in richer, for richer or for poorer. We need grace to confront and to confess sins in one another. Anybody that says it's easy to rebuke a brother and have to try to convince him of his sin, I think there's something wrong. It's just not easy. It's never pleasant. We need grace. We need the grace of courage. We need the grace of wisdom to be able to speak to them appropriately. And then we need the grace to forgive them when they say, will you forgive me? We need grace, brethren, to, to, to deal with the trials in life. Paul was what he was by the grace of God. The trials that we face 
we require grace. We need God's grace to adjust and to adapt to one another's cultural backgrounds, one another's idiosyncrasies, one another's weaknesses. Isn't that what Romans 14 and Romans 15 are about? The grace we need to receive one another as Christ has received in us. We need grace to deny ourselves and serve one another. Wives need grace to submit to their husbands. Husbands need grace to lead their families in love and lead their wife in love as Christ does the church. Children need grace to honor and obey their parents. That's just scratching the surface. Let's think about it for a minute. Could you imagine trying to live the Christian life on your own? We need grace to deal with the loneliness that comes in life and comes to us by the fact that Christ has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need grace at every point, in every circumstance. But here's the wonderful encouragement of the promise that we've just looked at. God is powerful to cause all grace to abound to you. Every grace to abound to you so that in everything, at every time, having every sufficiency, you will have an abundance for every good deed. What a wonderful promise. God is loving and willing to give. He's not stingy. And He's not limited. God's grace is sufficient to enable you to perform every good work He calls you to. That's what Paul says, right? When he's facing those trials in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's talking about the the thorn in the flesh and he says, I am what I am by God's grace. God's power is made perfect in my weakness. Crossing a few extra free verses there in Paul's testimony. but, But here's the point. Paul knew that it was God's grace that sustained him. God's grace has been supplied that we might serve others, be a blessing to others. He gives and it will be given to you, it says, Luke 6.38. They will pour it into your lap, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. In this very passage, he says, the degree to which you give is the degree to which you can expect Greater measures of grace be given to you. He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully in blessing shall reap a blessing and reap bountifully. It's God who is at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. We don't do this on our own. Anything good that we do is not us, ultimately. Now, we do it, yes, but it's His grace in us, as Paul could say. I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but Christ in me. Grace in me. God's grace. Here's our wonderful promise for every circumstance, however difficult, however challenging. So brethren, by way of final applications, what can we say? Well, we better stay close to Jesus, who is the source of all grace, and use all the means of grace. Stay close to Jesus, who is the source of all grace, 
and use all the means of grace. Remember why? That's why Jesus came. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized or came through Jesus Christ. He said to the Corinthians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does this grace come from? He begins the letter saying, you need grace. Grace will come to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ends the letter by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-8, through 8, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus that in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 4-8. You see what grace did for these Corinthians, who, who were a big problem church for Paul. And yet he says everything you do is all by the grace of God. And it'll last even till the last day. Stay close to Jesus Christ. And pray, draw near to the throne of grace where our Savior sits in order that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Hebrews 4, 16. Turn this promise into a handle by which you can lay hold of the throne of God. Make this that rope that many, spoke, many speak of that pulls, as it were, on the bell of heaven. God, have you not said that you make all grace abound? And then study and apply God's Word because we know that's where we learn of grace and that's how He gives us grace is through His Word. Psalm 119.58 I sought your favor with all my heart. I sought your grace with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your Word. Or verse 17 be be Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your Word. And so Paul then could commend the Ephesians in, Ephesians in Acts chapter 20 and say, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then listen. Not only do we need to stay close to Jesus, pray, study God's word, we need to listen to one another and to brethren who have grace on their lips. Ephesians 4.29 let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. According to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Words from the mouth of a wise man, Solomon wrote, are gracious. Well, just a few ways of the means of grace to be able to receive this grace from our God. This promise is too big. How can we know for certain that this promise is really going to be fulfilled? How certain is the promise? Well, Jesus laid down his life as an example so that we could follow him Jesus laid down his life as an encouragement. Romans 8, 32. 
He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? So knowing that He's already given us His Son, it's an encouragement to know that He will give us more. So laying down His life, He's an example. We're to love as Christ loved. We're to to treat others. We're to walk as Christ walked. And, And in laying down His life, He was an encouragement to us. But here's the one I really want to highlight. It's this. In laying down His life, Jesus secured this grace. In laying down His life, Jesus secured this grace. And I'll just look at one verse. Others we could look at, but just one verse. I always get these two verses mixed up, but now never again, I hope. 2 Corinthians 9.8. Flip it around. 2 Corinthians 8.9. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? That though being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. How do I know this is a certain promise? Because he laid down his life to secure it for me. And earlier in 1 Corinthians, he says that he shed, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that he, he sealed all the promises of God in, in his blood. For as many as are the promises of God in Him that is in Christ, they are yes. This is amazing. If you're a Christian, you've experienced God's grace. right? Because He came to you in your darkness and opened your blinded eyes, unstopped your deaf ears, showed you your sin, showed you the glory and beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you laid hold of him by faith, which he had given you that you might exercise it. He gave you new life that you might believe. And then you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and laid hold of him and were saved from your sins. And the guilt was dealt with and the condemnation was removed. You've known the grace of God. Jesus has paid the debt for you. We remember it tonight at the table. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And not of yourselves. Not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You've experienced that already. Would you, do we dare doubt that He's still desirous of giving us more grace? But my final question is this. Have you been saved by grace? Have you tasted of the kindness of the Lord? If you haven't, if you have not seen your sins, if you have not come to understand that you are condemned by God right now, that you stand under the judgment of God, if if you have not laid hold of Jesus Christ, if you have not fled to Christ, if Christ is not your only hope, if you're trusting in anything else to help you get through life and make it on the last day when you stand before God, if you're trusting in anything else and have not tasted of this grace, I have good news for you. There is grace. There is abundant grace. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You must cry out to him for mercy.
you must give up all other hopes, all other loves, and you must run to Jesus Christ right now. And you don't have to do anything heroic, and you don't have to, to promise to give your life to go to Africa or some other place where it's dangerous to live. All you have to do is acknowledge your sin before him and plead with him to forgive you on the basis of what Jesus has done and promised he will do. And I assure you, you call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. His grace abounds even to the chief of sinners. May God help us as we come to the table to delight in that grace.